Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. This morning, obviously, we are preparing for Vacation Bible Adventure, and you see behind me the backdrop. In case you're visiting with us today, we don't always have a backdrop behind us here. And uh, this goes with our theme this week. I wish that if this were a great big computer screen, and I could then digitally make some changes to it, and it would put us right in the scene for this morning's message. If I could take this scene, but just sort of wipe off all the green evergreens, and the green, and especially the tree on the end here, I think it's a, what, fir tree, cedar tree, and wipe all, all this green across here and turn all the green brown, turn all the green kind of light brown, we would have the perfect setting for Matthew chapter 3, okay? Outside the Judean hills, if you were to go to, to uh, Israel today and stand near the Jordan River uh, south of Galilee and look to the east, you would see the rolling hills, the rolling mountains, um, and, of course, without the evergreen trees, the dry and the brown, sort of like you might see in eastern Washington or in the Palm Springs area of California, that's what it would look like. The perfect background for this, and this is from our Bible reading for this week, and uh, we have been preaching through uh, different sections from our Bible reading uh, from the week previous, and this past week we began in Matthew. And so today we are going to consider Matthew chapter 3. We pray with me, Heavenly Father, as we open your word. Might our hearts be open to your word. Might we hear your word, Lord, and might uh, your word challenge us, draw us close to you, encourage us. Might we learn more of you from your word this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You'll notice if you have your Bible open in Matthew chapter 3, you may have a heading that says something along the lines of uh, the baptism of Jesus or John the Baptist ministry. And uh, oftentimes when... I've talked with people and talked about baptism and why, why, are you, why, do you, why were you baptized? And oftentimes the response we'll get is because Jesus was baptized. It's a very common response, because Jesus was baptized. And that's kind of the question I want us to consider this morning. Why was Jesus baptized? What was this baptism and why was he doing this? Why was Jesus baptized? And we're going to make an application to our lives Uh, as to what this means for us and what this can mean for us in our daily walk with the Lord. So let's read chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea. That's why we have to take all the green off, okay? It's the Judean wilderness. And he was saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. And people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole regions of Jordan, confessing, I want you to notice, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So as we consider this, um, first of all, would be helpful if we could somehow kind of put ourselves in first century Judaism, first century Judea, first century Jerusalem, and to put ourselves in that context, 
and understand a little bit about what is going on. And it, some of the Bible teachers and scholars have suggested thousands and thousands and thousands of people are coming to John to be baptized throughout this period of time. This is not a small event. This is not some sideshow. This is a this is a big deal. And news of this would spread all over Judea and Jerusalem. Everybody would know about this. And in fact, it, got, it was so big, it you'll notice in the next verses, that pretty soon the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they came to kind of check it out. And John, and John, and John accuses them, if you will, and says, you, you brood of vipers. That's, that's this morning on uh, Channel 7, that, 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 the program that's on in the morning. We kind of like watching as we're getting ready for church in the morning. It's on early and they were doing a special on uh, Dale Carnegie. Remember his famous book, How to What? Win Friends and Influence People. And it showed how many languages this is still being printed in and, and being taught today. Well, this is not a way to win friends among the Pharisees and influence them. <laughs> Say, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't think you can say because we're Abraham's children which was a big deal during this time in Israel's history. It was a big deal about being children of Abraham and the guarantee that brought. John says God could, God could take stones on the ground and raise up children if he wanted to. The axe is at the tree. And he uses language that talks about judgment and punishment and thrown into the, be cut down and thrown into the fire in verse, in verse 10. So the Pharisees and scribes are coming. The leaders of Israel are coming. This is a big deal. Now, uh, water washings, water purifications, water cleansing is a big part of the Old Testament Levitical system for Israel. Big part of the Mosaic law. If you read it, if you read through your Bible readings, and I know it's some of those passages that, you know, sometimes you get a little bogged down in, in Leviticus and so on, where you're reading about all these washings, these traditions, these cleansings. But it was a big part of their life. And the Jews were very familiar with this. Matthew's audience seems to be uh, more Jewish than, say, Luke, as we'll see in a little bit. And, and, and this water washing, you notice nobody comes to John and says, what are you doing? What is this baptism? What, why are you putting water on people? Why are you taking people to the Jordan River? And, and why are you uh, baptizing them? Why are you cleansing them with water? Nobody asked him that. They didn't have to ask him that. They all knew what it was. Jews were very familiar, as they are today, with water washes. I have just a couple of pictures. One, um, thanks, Cliff. This, this would be like one typical pool would be a little more rustic type and, and uh, not real fancy. But you find these around Judea and Israel. Um, the, the Hebrew term for it's a mikvah. Sometimes you hear it pronounced mikveh, but I think probably mikvah is probably closer. And it's a, it's a ritual, it's a ritual bath that you would go down into to be cleansed. I've mentioned to you before that the cemetery, the Jewish cemetery, you go in there, there's a little ritual water thing, you cleanse your hands when you leave because it's just part of the, there's all sorts of reasons you would be cleansed for purification. This one here is a very famous uh, mikvah from the Qumran community. And this one here you'll see with the, it's, it's a little more uh, um, defined with the steps going down. Where the, where the Qumran community leaders and people would go down and cleanse themselves in this water and come back up again. In fact, during the time of Christ, thanks Cliff, during the time of Christ, the first century, this had really grown. And there were, there were mikvahs all along as you went up the temple steps on the south side 
Some believe some of the leaders would, would bathe themselves six times a day. Six times a day for ritual cleansing in the Qumran community in the Judean wilderness. So this is very well understood. It's just as much in my church culture when someone uses the word Sunday school. I don't have to, I don't have to, what do you mean by Sunday school? I mean, I grew up with this. This is, this is what, uh, you know, worship service. This is part of our culture, our, our communication as Christians. So when John came, they knew what he was doing. It was a cleansing, a ritual cleansing, and you'll notice specifically to prepare Israel for the coming Messiah. And because he, he, he's quotes from the Old Testament, this is the one who was to come before the Messiah. Every Jew in that audience, when, when, when this was written, when this was read, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. Every Jew in the audience knew exactly where that came from. Just like if you were to say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, most of us could identify where that came from, right? Because this was part of our, kind of our story. And John 3.16, and they knew what he was talking about. He was washing them, and they were coming to repent of their sins as a people. Whoa, <laughs> careful here. They were coming to, to wash and repent of their sins as a people to prepare themselves to be purified to receive their Messiah. And this is what John is saying. And so when the Sadducees and scribes come, he, he, he challenges them and says, you're not repenting. You, you, you want to come and be washed, you want to be, be cleansed, well, first, repent. Repent of your sins. Repent of your sinful condition. Then we'll wash, then we'll cleanse. But that's not what you want to do. So clearly, this is what John is doing. He's preparing Israel. And you notice in verse 11, John says this, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. How much he, how much he knew of this coming Messiah, the deity aspect, it's, it's hard to really know if anybody really understood that part of it yet. But he knew, remember, he was a, a relative of Jesus. Remember the story of, of the birth story we celebrated Christmas. And, and he knew that the, he was the Messiah and he was there and, and that this Messiah was there and he was, he was highly exalted. He says, I, can't, I wouldn't even carry, I'm not even worthy to carry his shoes if he shows up. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now look at this language. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering the wheat into the barn and burning the chaff with the unquenchable fire. It's clearly talking about the judgment that precedes the coming kingdom. All the Jews knew that the Old Testament predicted there would be a time of judgment. A time of clearing out, a time where the, the righteous would be separated from the wicked as they prepared for the Messiah to come. When he says he'll baptize you with fire, it reminds of, of, uh, of Isaiah, where Isaiah in the fourth chapter says, In that day the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the, of the survivors in Israel. Those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem, will be called holy. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment, a spirit of fire. Then the Lord will create over all Mount Zion, over those who assemble there, a cloud of smoke by day, a glow of flaming fire by night. Over all the glory will be the canopy. It will be a shelter and shade. This is the Messianic kingdom that they were looking for. This is what John is doing. It's clearly a baptism of repentance and confession. There is, there is nothing here, friends, as many of the commentators will note, 
There is nothing here if you're looking for Christian baptism in the sense where someone is coming to identify themselves with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which many say that's going on here. Jesus hasn't died yet. He hasn't paid for sins yet. This is not Christian baptism, as many refer to it today when they say to be, to, to be obedient and do what Jesus did. What John is doing is a baptism of confession and repentance on Israel's part to prepare for their Messiah. And it's in this context that Jesus comes. And, and Jesus shows up here, and then we read in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee. Here's our picture. Galilee would be that direction, up north. And Jesus comes down to the Jordan River, this area here. And he comes there, and he comes to be baptized by John. So I ask you the question once again. Why did Jesus come to be baptized? If this is a baptism of repentance and confession of sins, why did he come to be baptized? Did Jesus need to confess any sins? Come on, what? Did Jesus need to repent of any sins? Did Jesus need to acknowledge that the Messiah was coming? Was Jesus in danger of judgment? Was he in danger of being separated when the righteous and the chaff were, when the wheat and chaff were separated? Is he in danger? No. And this is the question. And, I, and I've wondered this, you know, as I read these passages and this comes up. And, I'm, and in fact, hardly a year goes by in confirmation class where, where we talk about this that someone doesn't ask, why was Jesus baptized? Because the young people get that. Well, if this is a baptism of confession of sins and repentance, then what does Jesus have to confess and what does he have to repent of? Why is he coming to be baptized? And in fact, John, John got that. John understood that. I, again, I don't know what he understood fully about the deity of Jesus Christ, but he understood that something's backwards here because when Jesus comes to him to be baptized, look in verse 14. John tried to deter him saying, no, no, Jesus, no. I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? John got it. John realized the incongruity here. John realizes something was not working right here when Jesus comes to John, baptize me. And, and, and John says, wait a minute. No, no, you baptize me. You are greater than I am. I'm not even fit to carry your shoes. Something's wrong here. You're not coming to confess and repent of your sin. So why was Jesus baptized? Now, if we were in a smaller group today, a classroom type setting, what I would do naturally is break you into groups of four or five people and have you sit in chairs, but it's a little tough here to turn the pews around, you know, and, and, and all kind of thing. And I would ask you to, to, to talk with one another and, and let's talk about this and bring, bring back some answers. And what do you think? Because this is a good discussion question. It's a good thing to talk about because it's the heart of what we're going we're gonna to see here in Jesus' ministry. But we're not going to do that this morning. But I would like you to, and I'm going to suggest you something that I'm not going to be dogmatic about this. When I say that, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, what I'm telling you is there are many fine Bible scholars, uh, much more learned than I am, who have different opinions on this. But I do want to suggest one possible um, suggestion or one solution to this that might be helpful. I look at my uh, study Bible, 
This is the NIV study Bible I have today with me. I use, I use uh, several different, my reference Bibles, and there's notes here. And it gives you several possible reasons. And it, it, the first one is, you'll notice that, that when Jesus responds to, to John, look what he says in verse 15. When John says, no, Jesus, this is backwards. You baptize me. Jesus replied, let it be so now. No, John, you're going to baptize me. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. That's, of course, the key. To fulfill all righteousness. That's very important. And, and so some of the suggestions given are this fulfill all righteousness. And then it says, another suggestion is, at, John, at Jesus' baptism, John publicly announced the arrival of the Messiah. And that's possible. That what he's doing here, he's, he's, he's being baptized to announce his coming as the Messiah publicly. This is the first public acclamation. Thirdly, his baptism, he identified, this is the most common reason given. In fact, Charles Baker in his, in his dispensational theology um, even says this, that, that, that he, this was not a Christian baptism. It did not represent death, burial, and resurrection, but that he, that he came to identify himself with sinful humanity. That he was going to be the sacrifice for my sin and for your sin and for the sin of Israel, that he came to identify himself with humanity. And so therefore, he also subjected himself to baptism to identify with fallen and sinful humanity. And that's, that's very possible. And in fact, there maybe there's some overlap here. Maybe there's layers, you know, of, of reasons why he was baptized. That's a very common one. Probably the most common you'll hear is that he was, he was doing this to identify with Humanity. And the last one is, it says his baptism was an example to his followers. But of course, that's back to the question of what example if he was not sinful and did not need to confess sins. Well, I'm gonna, let me just give you a couple of things. Stay with me now. This will come together in the next few minutes as we kind of draw this to our, our point of application. And I like to give credit where credit's due. Uh, in our library, and we have a great church library. This happens to be my own personal library, but we have these same books in our library because we have a great uh, church librarian who really takes her job serious, uh, Gunny Olson. And uh, we have a great church library. So right over in that building over there, and we have a wonderful collection of new and up-to-date theology, practical living, uh, media, and we have some great older, and this is one of the older series. This is Systematic Theology by uh, Louis, Sp- Louis Sperry Schaefer uh, from Dallas Seminary. He's, he's, of course, gone to be with the Lord now. This is multiple volumes. This is just one volume, uh, volume five. But in his, and the reason I just say, in case any of you want to do a little more, more study on this on your own, this book is in our library, and you can check it out. And uh, he has a section here on his section on Christology, the study of Christ, where he deals with this baptism of Jesus. And what I want to suggest to you uh, I want to give credit to Schaefer because he really lays this out very carefully and, and very well. And to do that, I want you to go to the Gospel of Luke. Turn your Bibles, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Stay with me now, okay? Matthew, Mark, Luke, you're all, you're all kind and decent people. No one's going to get up and walk out, I don't think. So just stay with me here for a minute. When we go to the Gospel of Luke, Luke is written for a more Gentile audience. Luke was not a Jew, as far as we know. I mean, as far as we believe, Luke wrote this, even though it doesn't say he wrote this, but church history is very strong. He wrote Luke and Acts, the same person wrote both books. And if it, then if that is Dr. Luke, he is not a Jew, he's a Gentile. 
And he writes for an audience that has a little more of a Gentile flavor to it, not as familiar with some of the Jewish traditions and so on. And it's interesting that, you know, we don't really have much in, in the life of Christ in terms of dates. You know, we every Christmas there's big discussion. Was Jesus really born on December 25th in our calendar? Well, there's a good chance not. But that's, it's okay. You know, we've chosen the date to, to celebrate. We aren't given a lot of details. But Luke gives us four times dates or numbers that no one else really gives us. And I want, to, I want you to notice this. First of all, Luke 2.21. In Luke 2.21, after Jesus is born, it says, On the eighth day after his birth, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus. According, and, and what he, according, Luke is telling us, according to Jewish tradition, on the eighth day, every male baby is taken to the rabbis, the priests, in this case, probably Jerusalem, to be circumcised according to Jewish law. This is according to Jewish custom and law. It is still done today. And a rabbi is still present for the circumcision uh, of a male uh, Jewish baby today. On the eighth day, Jesus came to be circumcised according to Jewish law. The second one, you'll notice in verse 22, when the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. And we can, we can identify this clearly. This is day 40. Look at your reference note. Go back to the Old Testament. And you will see it is day 40. Day 8, according to the law, Day 40, according to the law, Jesus is brought to the temple, and basically he is redeemed. Because in Exodus, we read this in our Bible study yesterday morning, our men's group, that every firstborn male belongs to God, and you purchase it back from God. So they brought Jesus to the temple, and they paid the sacrifice. In this particular case, Mary and Joseph paid the sacrifice of the poor people. You also read carefully, there were two sacrifices. If you weren't able to afford the good sacrifice you could afford the poor sacrifice. And that's what Joseph and Mary provided here because they were poor people. And they brought this sacrifice and they redeemed Jesus back on the 40th day according to Jewish law. And then the only other thing we get of Jesus' childhood is in the rest of chapter 2 in verse 41. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. When he was 12 years old, this is the only indication anywhere we have that identifies a year or, or specific time for Jesus as he's growing up. Twelve years old is particularly mentioned. They went up to the feast according to the custom. And you know what happened here. They go to the feast in Jerusalem. They're on their way home. I always I think about this, you know. Um, you know, we, we have four children, still have four children. And, um, you know, there was the day we went home from church and, did you bring Linnea? No. Did you bring Linnea? Did you, you know? And we had two cars. Um, you know, uh, this happens sometimes that you lose track of your kids, right? <laughs> well, we found her. And she's right there, okay? <laughs> and she's moving to Tucson next week, so we're going to lose track of her again here. Um, can you imagine walking home from Jerusalem? Parents of the Messiah? 
you got Jesus, right? No, you got him, right? Oh, no, he's with Uncle Abebe down there. No, no, he's with Aunt Ruth over there. No, okay. And all of a sudden, they lost the Messiah. I mean, they lost Jesus. And they were three days away. Can you imagine the, the fear and the panic? Here God entrusted them with the Messiah, and they lost him. <laughs> they go, you think that's funny, huh, Gary? You wait till you lose Sam, Samson there and see what happens, okay? <laughs> Won't be so funny. So, so they go back. They go back to Jerusalem, and and where is he? It tells you in this passage. He is in the temple, and he is asking questions and answering questions from the rabbis and the leaders of Israel. According to Jewish law, when a boy was twelve years old, he was old enough to be taught by the rabbis. Now today it's thirteen for a bar mitzvah. But in the time of the first century, it was 12 years old. was the accepted time for a young man to begin being taught by the leaders. Incidentally, today it's 13 for boys and it's 12 for girls. It's bat mitzvah, 12 years old. They get to go a year early for their time of learning. What I'm trying to tell you is we have, we have three dates here, all tied to Jewish law, specific fulfillments of Jewish law. And then Mark Luke tells us when he when he gives the story of the of the of the Jesus being baptized, you'll notice that in the in the end of this passage here, in Luke uh, chapter three, verse twenty three right after his baptism and the Spirit speaks and the spirit comes down Jesus himself was about 30 years old and he began his public ministry so what Louis Sperry Schaefer is suggesting there's something significant about that 30 years old and what is significant and I'd like you to consider this today is back in Numbers chapter 4 you don't need to turn there right now but in Numbers chapter 4 you will find the regulations under Jewish law for the Levitical family of the Kohathites, Kohathites, I guess you would say, which was the family of Aaron, the first of the high priests. It was his family was in that clan that they began their ministry at 30 years old. And it says specifically Numbers chapter 4 from 30 to 50, they began, they could, they could minister. What I want to suggest to you for your thought this morning, maybe one of the reasons Jesus submitted himself to baptism was that according to Old Testament law, Exodus chapter 29 and verse 4 is one passage, you will find that when the high priest, when he began his ministry, he was washed and cleansed. And then oil was poured on his head. He was purified with water. He was cleansed. Jews knew all about that. He actually went through several cleansings throughout his life. But when he was initiated, you know, today, uh, ordination. We, have, we, are, we present, you know, people, young men who are ordained to the ministry. And we've done that here. When Frosty came last year, I think Gary was here last year, ordination. And we present the ordination. When the high priest was ordained to the ministry... He was washed with water, and he was anointed with oil. 
And I want to suggest to you, if you're thinking this morning, one possibility that is going on with the baptism of Jesus, it is not confession of sin. It is not repentance. We know that. And maybe he was allowing himself to fulfill all righteousness of the Jewish law. They didn't understand it. John probably didn't understand it. Because Jesus is not a Levite. He's from the wrong family. He is from what tribe? Judah. He is not qualified to be a priest from his human, his human lineage. He has to be a Levite to be a priest. If you know any Jewish friends or so on named Kohen, it's a very common Jewish name. That's the word for priest, Kohen. Kohen, Kohen. He was from Judah. But Jesus, we find out in Scripture, was a priest. And if he were washed and anointed by the Holy Spirit, back in Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus says, no, I want to be baptized, John, and in verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove on him. In the Old Testament, the oil is symbolic of the Spirit of God. The oil is symbolic of the Spirit of God. And the oil was anointed on him. The Spirit of God anointed upon him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now to wrap this up, I'd like you to go to Hebrews chapter 5. Because it's in the book of Hebrews that we are told so clearly from chapter 5 through chapter 8. I mean, it's a whole section of the book of Hebrews that we are told so clearly that Jesus is a high priest. He is a special high priest, a unique high priest. And I'm suggesting to you today that he may have been baptized as his initiation into that ministry. Jesus was prophet, he was priest, and he was what? King. Prophet, priest, and king. In chapter 5, every high... Incidentally, this book is called what? The Epistle to the Hebrew. These are Hebrew Christians. I mean, it clearly identifies it. We don't know who wrote it. But it's written to Christians who are Jews. Jewish Christians, clearly. It's written to the Hebrews. And in that context, so they would, and they would understand this. Every high priest is selected from among men. He is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices. He's a man. He's a human. He is able, look, I love what it says here. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is a man. He is subject to weaknesses. He is called from among his brothers. He represents them. But look at verse 4. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God as Aaron was. And then he goes on to say at the end of that verse, But God said to Jesus, Today you are my son. I become your father. And in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And in the Old Testament, Melchizedek is that strange man who comes out of nowhere He comes to Abraham. He's not even a Jew. We don't know anything about his lineage, his background. He has no background. He just shows up and Abraham worships him and gives him a tithe of offering and acknowledges him 
as a priest, a high priest, when I say worship him, he, he, he acknowledges his priesthood. And then he disappears. And the Bible says Jesus is a new type of priest. He is not from the tribe of Levi, but he has been called by God. He is a priest like Melchizedek. He has been chosen by God. And you have the, and I want to encourage you, and you just, if you would take time to read this section of Scripture today, or sometime this week. He was called, he became a source, verse 9. He became a source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And he was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. You read through the rest of this, this section. It's, just, it's a beautiful section that describes Jesus as the high priest and his high priestly ministry. Look at chapter 7 and verse 13. Hebrews 7, 13. He of whom these things are said, that is Jesus. He belonged to a different tribe. No one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And we have said even more clear, if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of regulation to his ancestry, but on the basis of power of an indestructible life. And again, you are a priest forever in the, in the order of Melchizedek. Verse 23. Now there have been many of those priests, high priests, since death prevented them from continue, continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely. Amen? Able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy. He also was human. Fully human without sin. Taken from among his brothers. So he could represent us. But one who was also God. Who was holy, blameless, pure. He did not need to be purified from sin. Like the other high priest did. But to be initiated. He was exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest. He does not need to offer sacrifice day after day. First for his own sins and then for the sins of people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all. Friends, the Bible clearly in Hebrews tells us Jesus, in one of his offices, functions as the perfect and final high priest. And it's a wonderful story. I mean, think of it. Not only is he the priest who goes in before God and offers the sacrifice that paid for sin, as the Jews did every day of atonement, they were, they were reminded, and they went in and they, and they brought that lamb, and, 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 they, and the priest slew that lamb. And then one lamb was sacrificed, a goat, and the other was sent out in the wilderness, the scapegoat, to bear, visibly to bear the sins of the people away to where they could no longer see him. Not only was he that priest who went in before God and offered the perfect sacrifice, he also was the sacrifice. Behold the what? Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was the priest and he was the sacrifice. And he offered the only possible, pure, holy sacrifice that could pay for my sin. And I know in the book of Hebrews, Jesus has a particular ministry. And in the kingdom era, which we believe is still to come, this will be very important. 
Jesus is high priest. But I also believe, as we talked about last week in communion, when, when, when Paul says, he quoted Jesus, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood. There's a new covenant for the house of Israel. But that is under the umbrella of the new covenant in his blood. And under that umbrella of the new covenant of his blood, which all of us stand, the blood of Jesus Christ, is his ministry as our high priest. Now I want to send you home with this verse, friends. This verse will take you a long way this week, if you let it. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 4, what really introduces this discussion on the high priesthood of Jesus. Whoever wrote this, whether it was Paul or Barnabas or whoever you think wrote the book of Hebrews, we're not told. He writes this. Therefore, verse 14, Since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Young people, hold firmly to the faith you possess. Hold firmly to it. Don't let go. Hold on to it. It matters. It's important. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Look at this. Imagine this. This is talking about God. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin. Don't anyone ever say, no one understands what it's like to go through temptation. No one understands the trials that I'm going through. God knows. Because he went through them. We have young people here today. We've got children here today with us. I've got grandchildren here. I was their age one time. And the beautiful thing about this, it doesn't matter how old you are, this relates to you. You know, some of the things that, 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 that you're afraid of, some of the things that you're challenged with, some of the things, young people, that come your way, the temptations, the challenges, the difficulties in life, the things that God allows into our lives. And we say, I want to remind you, Jesus went through the same thing. That's what it says. He was tempted in every way as you are, as you are, as you are, and as I am, yet without sin. This is not a religion, is it? This is not just another religion. God did this because he loves you, because he loves me. And look at verse 16. Because of this, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When we were in Southeast Asia, we visited some of the temples, tourist-type visitations. And they're reminded, even today, there are idols and there are temples and there are people who are going and doing things hoping that God will somehow accept them. And we have the same thing in our community here. People that you ask them, Why? well, I hope that, I hope when I stand before God that it's good, I've done good. Listen, friends, this says very clearly, we have confidence, every single one of you, no matter what. And I, I tell you this, and I, and I tell my kids and I tell my grandkids, and I want to tell you, if it's important to you, it's important to God. 
What's important to my children are important to me. What's important to my grandchildren are important to me. What's important to my children and youth in this church, that I'm their pastor, it's important to me. Well, how much more? If it's important to you, it's important to God. And don't ever, don't ever shrink back from coming before God with boldness because you think your concerns are too petty or too small or you've gone too far or you've let them down too much. Listen, friends, come boldly. Come boldly to the throne of grace because our high priest went through everything we went through without sin and sat down and offered that sacrifice to God. Come boldly. Come boldly. Come boldly before the throne of grace. Hallelujah! What a Savior. Jerry, uh, whatever your name is, Gary, come on up here, my favorite nephew, you in this week to come. Again, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you so much that you love us and that Jesus Christ paid for our sins. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you just wait just for a moment, let's go ahead and go on down here, right back down the middle, and let's, if you don't mind, and people will give a chance to greet you. Thank you for coming today. 